Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with fascinating people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Dr. Michael Bougea, a distinguished professor of journalism at the Greenlee School of Journalism at Iowa State University. His specialty is media ethics and technology. He's the author of 24 books across genres. His latest work is Living Media Ethics Across Platforms, published by Rutledge, Taylor, and Francis in 2019. Today, we talk about how journalists have been targeted by police for assaults and arrests during the latest national demonstrations in support of George Floyd, who recently was killed by Minneapolis police. Michael, uh, we've talked about the fact that uh, journalists are being targeted by police during the national demonstrations following the death of George Floyd. What is a journalist and how have they been targeted? Early on, you didn't need education to be a journalist. Um, Actually, uh, journalists typically in the beginning of the um, 20th century, not the 21st, the 20th century, came out of English departments, sometimes even uh, agricultural communications departments. And as the profession grew uh, with technology, because then, you know, radio uh, comes online in 1922, uh, and then we have broadcasting, national broadcasting, then we start to get... um, products uh, in national magazines. So we go from local local newspapers to radio, which is uh, uh, maybe a wider circulation area in the country. And then from that, we get national advertising in magazines. And as uh, journalism continued to advance via technology, uh, the telephone, and then, um, you know, after that, in, in our time, uh, television, uh, and then internet, uh, it became obvious to people training uh, journalists that they needed an education. And the education that they needed happened to be heavily weighted in the liberal arts and sciences. It was, you know, what made a journalist uh, in our generation, you and me, was the courses that we took, the expertise that we had in the arts and languages in sciences. And then what happens uh, in the the 1990s, uh, we get this knowledge economy 
that's made journalism education even more uh, important. And then that goes uh, up until about 2012. In 2012, we change again, where everything leaves our desktops and it goes up to the clouds. So then we are required as journalists not only to have an education weighted in the, in the arts and sciences, but also we need to know technology, uh, all sorts of technology. Uh, and, and, and at first it was uh, software, and then it became the cloud, and then finally this very powerful device called the cell phone with GPS tracking and wireless connections basically anywhere in the United States. So the history here is uh, one of increasing knowledge, increasing accountability for reporters. And so what makes a reporter today is the education that he or she has received. Now, chief among the education, chief among the education is media law, which you taught, uh, Tom Hodson. Right. And in addition to that, media ethics, which I taught when we worked together at, Iowa, at Ohio University, and then I carried that over to Iowa State University. Now, media law, and I know that you can talk about that with expertise, reminds the journalist about what he or she can do within the bounds of privacy, for instance. You can't put pictures in a false light. You, you can't invade people's uh, privacy in their own home and so forth. You can't in, use pictures or content of a person for commercial, commercial gain and so forth. The media ethics uh, takes uh, an even stronger stance, and that stance has to do with do no harm. And that do no harm uh, ethic is one that we all abide by. So knowing that, knowing that journalists now have specialized training, there is an argument that everybody now with a cell phone and in a public space, such as a demonstration, could consider themselves as a journalist. How do police make a differentiation between a person in the crowd with a cell phone and a journalist who is reporting? And is that difference consequential? You know, I think uh, I, I have not seen studies on the question that, uh, that you raised because this is an entirely new normal uh, for journalists. In um, 2013, uh, Detroit Free Press photographer Mandy Wright had her cell phone confiscated uh, as she was uh, legitimately taping from a public street an arrest. And she was arrested as well. And then when her iPhone was given back to her, the uh, memory card had been removed, which is a clear violation of all sorts of privacy and due process and everything else. And there was outrage everywhere in the United States. There were apologies galore. Police chiefs were promising that they would do better. Now we fast forward to 2020, and Mandy Wright is on the street in Detroit and with other journalists, and police open up on her with uh, not on her, on that corner, with tear gas and rubber bullets. None of the journalists were hit. Uh, a bystander was hit in the back. 
but there's no outrage anymore. We have 300 plus violations of uh, First Amendment rights of reporters since the uh, George Floyd protests uh, have have begun. Now, back to your question. Typically, a reporter should be wearing uh, credentials that identify him or her as a reporter. And those uh, credentials should be um, prominently displayed. I'm not sure everyone has that has done that yet. Uh, certainly, if you're a reporter, if I were a reporter, I, I, I would do that. Uh, the, the other thing uh, that I would do is, is make sure that I identify myself as a reporter. And I would identify myself as a reporter while it's peaceful, uh, while maybe before the protest begins and officers are there. Identify as yourself as a reporter. And I'm most, you know, Tom, I, I want to run this by you because I'm most at the point now. And I thought, I thought very hard about this. And I'm, I'm starting to think that uh, we that reporters ought to carry a slip with them that uh, copies uh, 42 U.S. Code 1983 about <laughs> deprivation of rights and to give that to the police officer. Uh, and th- I'm not sure that that is um, antagonistic or safe to do. But uh, certainly, I think we're at the point now with people uh, being arrested and journalists being arrested that maybe they should give that piece. That I will comply with your orders, but I would like to make you, I would like to make known to you 42 U.S. Code 1983 about deprivation of constitutional rights and the privileges and immunities that I have that are secured by the Constitution. What do you think about that, Tom? By the by, the way, that section that the Michael's referring to is in the federal law, and it's the federal civil rights law that says no person shall, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but no person shall uh, interfere with another's constitutional rights. So here we would be talking about the police and attacking journalists in record numbers during these demonstrations would be taking away the civil rights or interfering with a reporter's First Amendment rights to freedom of press and freedom of being able to conduct their profession uh, as as journalists. That's that's what he's referring to. Michael, I'm going to be a contrarian here in, in the most civil way, uh, as you and I always go back and forth, and that is... I don't think a slip of paper would mean a damn thing. And this is why. Uh, I think journalists in particular are being targeted by police across the country. Now, not all police, but some police. They are specifically being sought out. We have record numbers of arrests. We have record numbers of physical assaults. We have record numbers of equipment being damaged. We have people in your own state of Iowa who said that they're a member of the press 17 times during a encounter with a police officer and is still pepper sprayed in the eye. We're in a different world where the news media reporters for mainstream news are now considered enemies and enemies of the police. That's my view. 
You know, I, I, I understand that, and that is a legitimate view. Uh, the idea of giving people, a uh, giving officers a slip of paper on 42 U.S. Code 1983 is it establishes a paper trail for later litigation, uh, which is why I'm, I'm at the point of recommending that. In, in other words, you may be right. It may not stop an attack on a reporter, but it's sure that heck, and if that is actually videoed as the report, if, as the reporter gives that slip of paper to a police officer, uh, I'm not sure this is good uh, tactic, but um, my word, you're right. I mean, the number of violations that are occurring are, are record-breaking, and every day we have more of them. But let me uh, further address as what, you, what you're saying. <clears throat> I'm not so sure. I think, yes, you might be right. A certain portion of aggressive police tactics may have glommed on to the idea that journalists are enemies of the people, um, and we're going to be dealing with that. Uh, in, we deal with that every day, you and I, in terms of comments about what we are and who we are. And, and let me just say uh, right up front that some of that criticism about journalists, not journalists are enemy of the people, but that media in general, is that people cannot distinguish between journalism and media, media is a delivery system. It could be social media where comments are, are displayed, but it, it could be the type of iPhone we have. Uh, but media technically is a delivery system. Journalism, on the other hand, documents uh, for the public at large what's happening in society so voters can make intelligent decisions in the voting booth. That is our chief purpose. Uh, and that's why the First Amendment uh, what was established, but in further response to your um, to your question, I'm not so sure police are targeting journalists per se. I think they're targeting cameras, and this is why um, this is and, and they and they would be wise to befriend journalists, and because the journalists are going to put things in context, the journalists are going to be held to. Um, that they can't doctor content, they have to document content, and they can they can be held liable or fired or even sued, as you know, if they present issues in a false light or otherwise liable or perpetuate um, uh, malice in their in their content. On the other hand, what we see now is that a shift in power. That power shift is what had many of the police upset. So I'm going to disagree with your premise about Trump, an enemy of the president, Trump, an enemy of the people. Um, I'm not so sure, you know, my response, let's handle President Trump, an enemy of the people. Let's just handle that and then just get rid of it. The people who believe that media is biased and uh, journalists are unethical and conspiracy uh, theories and so on. Dishonest then, and horrible people. Let's let's they, let's add that in. Dishonest, uh, horrible people, enemies <laughs> enemies of the people, uh, lamestream media, and purveyors of fake news. Let's get it okay. all in there. Okay. Now, if people believe all that, then you ask them two questions. The first question is. Are, but you don't seem to be affected by all this propaganda. Well, what makes you so special and everybody else so ignorant? That's one response. A another response is, is that, okay, what, what newspapers do you subscribe to? If they say nothing, I get my, my information from Twitter 
and, and social media than say, well, you're getting what you paid for. The fact of the matter is there's good, honest, hardcore journalism, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and the Washington Post. My favorite are the Washington Post and, uh, and the Wall Street Journal. You, you are going to, and they have too many columns and too many opinions, but the news that you're going to get is fantastic. But when we go back to the police and your question, right now what's happening is a power shift. It's a power shift away from the authority of the police to the documentation of that camera. So I think it's the camera that is causing the shift in power, not so much the journalists. So even though somebody's wearing credentials around their neck, your argument is that the police are attacking not the news media, not the reporters, but they're attacking the idea of accountability through the camera. Absolutely. It is all about accountability. And the fight, in, in the, the, a, a police officer who uses aggressive tactics, yeah, if you, I don't know the psychographics of that person. Maybe that person is a, a Joe Biden supporter. And maybe that person believes in the Constitution. I, I don't know. But it, it, that person may have a grudge against the media, and that and, and, and that that may play itself out. I'm not saying I, I can't get into the hearts and minds of police officers and put them in, in, in all one group. But I can say with authority from my own research, which has been going on since 1999, and it began at Ohio University. I don't know if you recall that I'm the first person. You go look under criticism of, and what. Go to Wikipedia, look under criticism of Facebook. I started um, studying and criticizing social media in 2005, 2006. That's among the earliest times that uh, people had looked at how news was going to change. But back to the police officer, I think they are being held to what's on the camera. You push a 75-year-old man as happened at a protest, and then claimed that he fell and tripped in your police report, and then the camera shows that he was pushed, that says that you have lied. And what the camera has been doing, particularly in the hands of journalists, we'll make that fine point there, what the camera has done in the hands of journalists is document the lie. Now, what has on occasion happened in the hands of a non-journalist is that Photos and excerpts have been taken out of context. And that is why, in the end, the journalist should always be a friend of the police and the police should be a friend of the journalist. The only time that you have a problem between the two is when something wrong is happening, either by the journalist or the police officer. It's just like anything else, all right? The whole argument ab about... Um, uh, police using video cameras, during, using the using their own cameras during the arrest, and that being, uh, and police unions pushing back on 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 that is again accountability. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, arguments about uh, journalists as enemy of the people, but in this particular instance, it is a power shift from the police, an authority shift from the police to protester and journalists. And anytime you take power away from any group of people, including professors, there is always going to be that pushback. The difference is 
Professors don't have batons and tasers when they push back. We'll be back after this message. At the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University, students and faculty aren't just ready for change, they're hungry for it. The Scripps College of Communication was awarded $878,000 by Ohio University for an immersive media initiative that will allow students to become skilled leaders in immersive media, especially virtual and augmented reality. The college's Game Research and Immersive Design Lab will serve as the hub for the initiative and provide several million dollars worth of equipment, processes, intellectual property, and award-winning scholars and partnerships for the project. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. I want to follow up on the 75-year-old man. We saw him be shoved by Buffalo police. Those two officers have been suspended without pay, and both of them charged with assault criminally. Yes. This man is still in the hospital, still under critical condition. We saw blood coming out of the guy's ear. We saw right. those images. Right. That gives us a sense of reality of what happened. We follow up with the substance, the charges have been filed, and they've been suspended without pay. That adds another element of truth to the situation. Now, this morning, President Trump comes out with a tweet and says, that the 75-year-old man could have been an Antifa operator who was scanning the police to jam the police and that he fell harder than he was pushed. In other words, creating this idea that it was all a setup to make the police look bad. Now, we have one reality that we see with our eyes. We have another reality being framed by the President of the United States. And this is just one of thousands of incidents. How does the ordinary person separate those two? You know, if you can, if you still continue to believe everything that Donald J. Trump tweets if if that's if if that's your philosophy of life then go ahead and embrace it sooner or later karma will come and level things out for you i don't you know you know conspiracies only go so far and they last so long and division only goes so far and it lasts so long so if if this division that President Trump continues uh, to promote as a campaign strategy, uh, that's his right to do so. He has a First Amendment right to do it. He has a First Amendment right to be wrong. He has a First Amendment right to be influential. And if that's the case and people want to believe that, then get the governments that they deserve. And perhaps it's the government that they want. On the other hand, if you don't believe it, if you think that uh, President's, uh, President uh, Trump's uh, tweet about Antifa. I have it right up in front of me on my uh, on my browser. Is uh, abhorrent. 
then go to the polls and and vote them out. The fact of the matter is, is that too often, Tom, and, and, and I say this as a criticism of the populace, not a criticism of President Trump or Joe Biden or anybody else, is that too often we use social media as a salve for us to get through the day. But then when it comes to voting, we don't go to the voting booth. OK, well, if that's because our candidate, it's not our preferred candidate. You know, I, I'm so tired of this. And, and I'm going to give a little journalism history here because journalism history is important in putting everything into context. <clears throat> Let's go back to Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson said if he had a choice between government without newspapers or newspapers without government, he said he would prefer newspapers without government. But he qualified that. And, and he said that providing people could read and those newspapers can be delivered and read. This led rise to um, uh, John Jay, first uh, first Chief Justice of, uh, of, of the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, saying that education should be available to all Americans at a, a cheap and easy rate. The whole idea of journalism and the whole idea of the American experiment are intricately linked. If we're going to elect representatives in a republic, not necessarily a democracy, but a republic where we elect representatives, then we must be informed by newspapers. That is at the heart of soul, heart and soul of the First Amendment and the five freedoms we have uh, in there of press, speech, religion, assembly, and petition. All right, Michael, I want to change the subject just a bit. Um, and I want to talk about ethics, uh, journalistic ethics. Uh, when we have reporters, as we have seen the CNN reporter being arrested on live television, uh, we, we see reporters across the country having their experience with police. At what point does the reporter cease being a reporter and become the story? And does that cause ethical issues? Oh, uh, it, 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 it sure does. I mean, I guess my hobby horse on this topic is Jim Acosta of CNN. I, I don't even listen half the times to what he reports because too often he's made himself the story. Uh, it really bothers me about that. But I want to talk about this in a larger context. You know, when uh, CNN says breaking news, it's probably news by the New York Times or some or some other um, some other uh, news organization. And, you know, when they say exclusive, CNN is actually doing a story. Uh, there are too many talking heads. You know, they're 24 seven cable news. There's not 24-7 uh, news anymore because newsrooms have been downsized by half since 2008. So they have to fill that void in cable news. And this is Fox News as well, or MSNBC, with talking heads. The more they hire talking heads, the fewer reporters are there. I want to make another point about reporters as well, about reporters becoming the story. You know, those reporters that are covering this protest, the protests have been furloughed by major organizations. They're out there doing their civic duty because they have a call 
to the Constitution to make sure the citizenry is informed. They're there on lower pay or no pay doing their job. And then it gets filtered through media. And that media is, okay, the news report gets on Facebook, but then whoever posts it um, talks only to his or her affinity group. And then we get this big conglomerate of media where reporters seem to be part of the story. I want to tell you something. If you're on the scene covering a protest, it doesn't matter um, where the incident happens. You're going to flock to that like a bead of pollen. If it's a protester that's breaking the law, you're going to flock to that like a bead of pollen. If it's a police officer, you're going to do that. Reporters do not stand idly for hours watching a protest and picking and choosing what incidents they are going to document. They are there as the public's eyes and ears. And how the mouths of talking heads frame that is not the reporter's fault. So you say the reporter on the front line is ethically doing his or her job. But oftentimes, the analysts who interpret what those reporters do uh, add their own uh, twist, uh, trying to come up with the right word, twist to the story. And that has ethical questions in your mind. it's, 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 It's the cause of all our problems is the talking heads. Not only that, you know, the New York Times, for instance, has some of the greatest reporters on the planet, but they have too many opinion pieces and their opinion pieces are skewed to the left. And, you know, and then you, you get the same thing uh, in different media that are skewed to the right. The fact of the matter is that the mar- the profit margins are too low in the objective middle. So what you see on many of these large corporations is that they're, they are appealing to a certain demographic and psychographic. Uh, I, you can look at the same report on Fox News versus CNN, and you wonder, you know, where's the reporter in all this? The reporter videotapes something, and you get what happens on the scene, and then you look at that, what the reporter has, has videotaped as it's presented on Fox News, and then you look at it as presented on CNN, and they're totally conflicting. So, of course, the public's going to say, what do I believe anymore? And it goes, it goes back to you have to pay for journalism. You can't get it on social media. You pay for it. You pay for NPR. You donate to NPR. You donate to WOUB. You buy the Wall Street Journal subscription. You buy the New York Times subscription. Pick out the stories you want. You buy the Washington Post subscription. You cannot just rely on Facebook and Twitter. Let me ask you this now from an ethical point of view. If you look at, for example, MSNBC, and you look at their evening shows, especially uh, Brian Williams uh, comes on 11 o'clock uh, Eastern, I think 10 o'clock Central, and, and it's delayed on, on the West Coast. He brings in the reporters from the New York Times, from the Wall Street Journal, from Politico, from, from Axios, from all of these places, but yet they're not reporting, they're analyzing the, the reports that they did earlier. So they're doing a straight news report for the, 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 the web and the actual news, 
but then they're on there analyzing and interpreting. Is that an ethical concern of yours? Of course it is. You know, Maggie Haberman reports for the New York Times, but then she's a CNN analyst. You know, sooner or later, if you're a reporter, let's just stop for a second, because I'm not sure our listeners can really understand the problem that you just framed. The problem is MSNBC doesn't have their own reporters on the ground. What they're doing is they're looking at real reporters who have covered things often very brilliantly, bringing them in for um, for an analysis. You know, okay, uh, the reporter most of the times is 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 doing something uh, very legitimate and it, expressing what he or she has found. But then you have to wonder if they're under contract somehow as a CNN analyst analyst or MSNBC analyst, will that eventually color the filters of their objective reporting on the scene? I worry about that. One last area, Michael, in this fascinating discussion, and that is we know in Minnesota the ACLU has filed a class action on behalf of reporters Uh, under the Civil Rights Act, under 42 U.S. Code 1983, saying that the police has interfered with reporters' right to free press and their right to uh, assembly. They've uh, brought in the first, the fourth, and the 14th Amendment to that lawsuit, 14th being due process, fourth being illegal seizure uh, without a warrant. They've asked for a temporary restraining order, a permanent injunction, and also damages for this class actions of reporters who are injured. Your thoughts about those kinds of lawsuits and their effectiveness in making change in what we're seeing in the dynamic between police and credentialed journalists. It seems to me that it may be a day late and a dollar short. It's after the fact, but that's my view. What's yours? I think that um, class action suits are going to be the only vehicle to get elected officials, mayors and governors to direct their law enforcement agencies and their public safety agencies to pay heed to the constitutional rights of reporters. Otherwise, they they need to explain to taxpayers that their money is going to be used to refute allegations or rebut allegations or to mitigate losses. There are better ways to spend taxpayer money than in defending um, actions taken by law enforcement against the constitutional rights of uh, journalists who are there because of the First Amendment. It's the First Amendment for a reason, and that is because the five freedoms, including freedom of religion, um, as well as press and speech and assembly and petition, is that we have the American government that we take for granted, Tom, is still an experiment. It's an experiment in trust in the people. And if you take away that trust by authoritarian action, you are actually violating the spirit of George Washington, Ben Franklin, John Adams, Madison, 
and all of the constitutional founders, Jefferson in particular, about what this experiment ought to be. So if you want to be a patriot, make sure that the Bill of Rights, the first all the way through the Tenth Amendments of the Constitution are part of your political philosophy. Don't pick and choose second over first or first over second or third or fourth. It's all in the Bill of Rights. It's an American experiment. And we used to be, and I hope still are, the model for the entire world. Well, Michael, let's uh, lower our blood pressure a, a bit. You you and I are getting too old for <laughs> this, but uh, it, I think it speaks volumes that we're still so passionate about these issues after, after so long. I, I want to thank you for talking with me this morning. It, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you, and thank you for doing this very important segment, Tom. Today, we've been talking with Dr. Michael Bougea, Distinguished Professor of Journalism at Iowa State University, about the struggles between journalists and police during the latest nationwide demonstrations. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available at the NPR Podcast Directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your podcast outlets. If you have questions or comments about our podcast or have suggested topics for us to cover, please direct them to me by email at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu.